My wife is, uh, we, we just celebrated our 36th anniversary Tuesday, and it must have been too hard on her because she's sick today. <laughs> and my wife is the original Michigan Baptist girl, and it just kills her not to go to church on Sunday, so you know she's sick. But um, you should know something about these Baptist girls. You know, when I married Karen, 36 years, we've only had one fight, and it was our first two weeks of marriage, and we had a fight and then I didn't see her for like two weeks and then about the third week I could see a little bit out of this eye and see her just a little bit (laughs) those Baptist girls don't underestimate them you know oh it's good to be here I love this church this is my third time here I've done a men's conference going to do another one I hope you guys can come Um, but today I wanted to talk to you about something that uh changed my life and also you know you have two missionaries going out to China and that just made my whole morning Uh, make sure you pray for them they're doing something that's really courageous going to the mission field I've been missionary 37 years and uh, I can't think of anything else I'd rather do with my life but it's not for everybody but I tell you what is for everybody for free is the the blood of Christ that we can be Christians and serve wherever we're at so today I just want to encourage you through some stories and illustrations about a lady in the Bible that first helped me change my mindset about how I could serve God. So if you have your Bibles or your phones with your Bibles or whatever, open up to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. And it's a great story. I read this story when I first became a Christian. I was a basketball player. Um, I got a scholarship to university because I played basketball. Came out of Detroit City, the inner city. I was a little thief. I was actually I was a big thief <laughs> and uh, in college I came to know Christ and changed my life but because of basketball I got to travel the world I I was fortunate to lead this country in scoring at one stage in, in my career and then played professional basketball so when I came to Christ I was trying to figure out how can I serve God because I didn't feel the lead to go to seminary or anything like that um, but I said what can I do and I kept thinking of the things I don't have, like I don't have training and I don't know how to do it. And, and I read this story first, and it just changed my whole mindset on being a Christian. And so I'm going to read it for you t- again today. I guess I'm not going to read it. I don't see any glasses around here. That I have. You know what? I know this story by heart, so I'm just going to tell it to you. Okay, you can follow along with me. But it says uh, one of the um, wife of one of the seminary students... Uh, her husband had died and he had loved God and served God faithfully but he had some debt when he died and the first lesson of this whole story that I learned as a missionary and even as a person a Christian be careful about debt you get in the debt it can really get you in trouble and it's very hard to serve the Lord sometimes when you're in debt so that's the first thing Karen and I learned as a missionary couple is uh, don't have any debt and being able to serve easier anyway she did have the debt and they were threatening to take her sons. Now, at that time, the Jews could be very difficult on you. And rightfully so, they had laws that if you didn't pay your debt, they could take collateral, and the collateral could be your sons because they could work. So she not only had just lost her husband and she was mourning as a widow, now she's going to lose her sons. She's going to be completely alone. She's desperate. So she goes to the prophet, Elisha, and she says to the prophet, can you help me? My husband was a good man. He served the Lord. Isn't there something the Lord could do? Something you could do? Because the prophet represented the Lord at that time. And the prophet said to her, what can I do? You got, in other words, you got a pretty tough situation. <laughs> what can I do? 
And instead of doing something for her, he asked her, what do you have? And she said, what do you mean, what do I have? That's why I'm coming to you. I, if I had something, I would sell it, and I would get my, keep my sons and get out of debt. That's why I came to you, he said, we paid it again. Are you sure you don't have anything of value in the house? Well, she said, I do have this one, now that you mentioned, I have this one little uh, jar of oil in the cupboard. But it's only a small bit. Now, oil was very valuable at that time, but she only had a little bit. So here's what the prophet told her on faith. He said, take what you have. Never mind what you don't have. Take what you have. Pour it into all the vessels. You go and get your sons, and you tell them to fill up the room with vessels or cups or anything that they can get that can hold the oil, and you pour the oil from that into the other ones. Then go sell it and pay your debt. Now, that's crazy, isn't it? But at that time, with that prophet, with the way God was working, that's what he was asking her to do on faith for her specific problem, and she could choose to do it or not. And on faith, she did it. And that's what I did when I first became a Christian. I realized, God's not asking me what I don't have. I know what I don't have. He's asking me, what do you have? And I had basketball. I could play basketball anywhere in the world. So I said, Lord... Use my basketball. Use me in some way. I'll tell anybody about my faith if I get the chance. And I'll use basketball to do it. And so that was about 2,500 basketball games ago. At a lot of different levels in about 30 plus countries. Played a lot of basketball. Um, And I thank God for that because it started with just one game. And this lady started with just one little jar of oil that she gave to God and he multiplied. Is God good at multiplying things? Yes. You've probably, I can tell by the response you've experienced in your own life. I have too, but how about the boy with the fishes? What do you think he was thinking of when he's sitting there and he's got 25 fish and he started with 10? Plus, there's been 5,000 fed. What do you think he felt? I mean, how do you think David felt standing before a giant that just fell before him and he nailed him with his tirador, with his slingshot? He said, man, that was pretty awesome. He used what he had in his hand. Moses' staff that opened up the sea, a staff. Remember, God uses people, but he also uses the things people have. The lady had the oil, so here's what she did. She went and got all of these vessels like her sons told her to. I'm going to just use this one I found here at the church. It had some flowers in it. Deborah, if you could hold that for me. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, about right there. That'd be good. Thanks. Now, I'm just kidding, dear. You, can, you don't have to hold that up there. <laughs> now, she took her vase. Now, this one that she was pouring out of, picture this, everyone, was smaller. And the one she was pouring into was bigger. Now, when I do it, I run out, don't I? But when she did it, it kept on flowing. So can you imagine how she felt When the one she was pouring out was smaller, when did she really get excited? When the one that was bigger was filling up and she knew it shouldn't happen. And that's what it feels like to be a missionary. In fact, that's what it feels like to really be a Christian, is to feel the love of God flowing through you like that, where you see him do things in your life that you know you couldn't have done yourself, but God does them for you, or he does them in you, and he does them through you. And so as she's pouring she realized something fantastic is happening here because I had this little one that's filling up. So she gets excited. She starts pouring them on all the other ones too. She just keeps pouring and pouring and pouring. 
That's pretty cool, isn't it? Mine's empty. Hers keeps pouring. Now, she tells her sons as she gets near the end, she's filling up everything in the room. She tells her son, quick, she must have been American even at this time. Quick, get some more because we could make a profit here. You know? <laughs> Capitalist. So the boys say, Mom, there's no more. If you'd have told us, we would have brought in more. But this is what we brought. You know, she filled everything. And then it says when she filled the last one, the oil what? Stopped flowing. God doesn't waste his spirit. God doesn't waste himself on people. He's looking for vessels like any color, any size, any age like us. Are you willing to be filled? Are you willing to be used? Will you give him what you have? And if you do, he's willing to use you. And I still get excited. Now, this is just a cheap magician's trick. But it gives you an idea of the excitement she must have felt when hers was for real. And it kept pouring into the things. Then it stopped. Now, if she'd have brought the, the boys would have brought the, the cow's trough from the paddock in, God would have filled that too, I believe. He will, he will do it when he asks us to do things in faith. It's amazing how things can multiply when you start with something that God just begins with small and it begins to grow. And that happened in my life, happened in my wife's life, and it's still happening 37 years later. And I hope it's happening in yours because the great thing about Christ is that he is free for everybody to accept. Ask forgiveness and accept Christ and see him pour into your life. But if you don't ask and you don't free yourself up to, it's great, isn't it, to serve him, then you won't feel the feeling, the filling of the spirit and you'll remain empty. But if you are willing to let God use you. I promise you, I don't care how little it is you have, he'll use it. If it's a little money, if it's a gift that you have, if it's a little time that you have to serve, if it's opening the door for someone and smiling on the day and being a servant, he can use it. Just an example, I want to tell you about a couple of stories in the Philippines um, that happened with Karen and I. Uh, I did the basketball thing for all these years. And in fact, I still take teams. I'll be taking the team in January. Um, and we go out into the province and we play basketball for free. We play any team that they have in any village. And then at halftime, we share Christ with them. And if anybody wants to know Christ or learn more about Christ, they come up after the game, they sign up their name and address, and the pastor in the area follows them all up. And the church grows, or they start a church. And we start with one little address and we just add them and we go one at a time and the pastors follow them up and do one game then another game sometimes we do three games in a day sometimes we do four games in a day now another thing I didn't tell you is the halftime show because I liked athletics and balls and things I was good at my wife is very smart good in music I'm not so but I'm good in these sport things so she always encouraged me use your sports for the Lord so we went to the circus one day I was home on a from professional basketball with a four pins in my elbow on a, from an operation and I was recovering so I had plaster all up my arm and we, she took me to circus and out came these guys juggling basketballs and at the same time riding unicycles I thought this is and they played ten, five on five they played a basketball game in the unicycles it was so entertaining for someone like me it was perfect and I looked at I said and my wife said wouldn't the Filipinos love this because Filipinos love basketball they just love basketball. Only country in the world where it's a national sport. And I said, yeah, I could do that. And Karen says, Tom, 
These are professionals. I said, I'm a professional. She said, you're a professional basketball player. These are professional circus people. Well, she didn't know it, but that bothered me. <laughs> so we went on home to Detroit to see mom and dad. And we were sitting in the living room. And I've, I've looked at the wand ads one time in my whole life, and this was it. I don't even know what I was looking in the wand ads for. God led me to the wand ads. Detroit Free Press. I opened up, and right there, I'm looking down under you, unicycles. And it popped out at me, and I went, wow. And this circus performer was retiring, and he was selling his two unicycles. So I got in the car, drove over, and bought them. I said, I don't care what the price is. That's from God. I'm buying those unicycles. I mean, that, you, can, you can put the leading of God together, can't you? So I bought the unicycles home, and I'm on the back, uh, the driveway, in our little house in Detroit, and I'm leaning on my good side against the house trying to learn how to ride this unicycle, hopefully not falling on the bad side. Well, you can hear that banging inside the house. So out comes my mom and dad with Karen. What are you doing? Are you nuts? I went, and Karen says, I'm sorry. It's my fault. Now I know what I did. I didn't mean it. When you heal up, you can start learning the unicycle. And I said, but I want to. And I could see my mom. My mom says, don't. This is not going to work, Karen. Let's go inside. So they go inside. And my dad looks at me. He goes, I gave you five bucks. You can get down to the driveway in 20 minutes. <laughs> So in 20 minutes, I got down to the end of the drive. He says, 10 bucks, you ride the whole block. 10 bucks, I rode the whole block. You know what he said? Let's get out that tall one. Now, even I'm not that crazy. I said, Dad, wait a minute. That thing is 10 foot tall. That seat. He said, what's wrong with you? You can ride this little one like that. I'll give you 20 bucks. You ride the length of the block. So we get the ladder out. I climb up the ladder. We got an oak tree that has a limb at 13 feet right across the, the walk sidewalk of our old home there so I get up I put the good arm open on the thing I get up on the unicycle like that he pulls the ladder away he says go <laughs> and I fell yeah I fell but I fell on my good side you know and I said dad this is not a good idea I'll, when I get well he said you get back up on that bike do you have a father like that I had one like this you get back up on that bike so I fell a couple more times so I'm hanging by the tree the third time and I'm looking like this, or the fourth time, and I look out, and right there on our street, Linden Avenue, all these people in their cars with their kids, and they're pointing. Look at, and they're smiling and laughing, and I felt so encouraged. Because I thought, it's working. Dad, look at, they want to see me ride. I was entertaining. And he said, yeah, sorry, son, they want to see you fall. <laughs> Finally, I got riding that thing, you know. Then my problem was, I'm riding down there, and I have no idea how to stop, dismount, or get off this thing. So I have to ride until I find another oak tree that can get me. And my dad's running with the ladder behind me. It's funny, isn't it? But you know what? That's just how the Filipinos laugh when I do my unicycle show for them. My wife got together with me. I took all the tricks I've learned from the globetrotters and playing basketball, spinning, juggling. And I did it all then on a unicycle, then on a tall unicycle. Then I rode people on my shoulders. And we put together a whole 12-minute show by music. And we started with one show in Manila. Never mind going and let's just try it at a school and see how it does. No, I wanted to do it in the big stadium where I played professional basketball. So I showed up and I said to the commissioner, it's a doubleheader on TV. I said, commissioner, if you need me, Mr. Garcia, I can do a halftime entertainment show. He said, what? He said, I thought you were injured or something. I said, All right, I'm coming back from medical, but while I was gone, I learned this show. What? I said, well, if you need me, he said, yeah, if we need you, we'll call you. I went up and I said, the Karen understands. I don't think they're going to let me do it. She goes, well, it was a long shot. She said, we'll just keep praying. 
And we prayed. And wouldn't you know, the guy from the team goes down and he dunks the ball. And the ring breaks. And it's hanging there all wobbly looking. And so they come out and they got to change this ring. National TV, 20,000 people, and they're all going. And, you know, Filipinos, I don't, I'm not being mean, but Filipinos take a long time to do things like that. <laughs> so my wife says to me, go, go. I said, go what? She goes, go ask him again. Maybe you can entertain during this break. I said, okay. So I went down. I said, Mr. Garcia. He said, yeah. I said, do you want me to entertain now? He said, Any, we're dying here. Anything. I don't care what you do. Just, Tom, fill some minutes. We've got TV time to fill. The people are bored to death. It's going to take 20 minutes. I said, oh, I can take only 12. So I went out with my bikes. And when I first started juggling, they all said, isn't that Tom Randall, the player? What's he doing? And then they started to laugh. And then I juggled in different ways. And then they said, it's really good when you have an a audience with low expectation levels. <laughs> Because they just enjoyed the heck out of it, you know? And so, did the show. Rode the boy on my shoulders. After, at the end, they were dying. Everybody loved it. Mr. Cantata came up, famous announcer. He said, Tom, let me interview you. Do you have some minutes? I go, okay. National TV, why are you now doing this show? It's very entertaining. And I said, because I thought I could share it with the Filipinos and then share my faith after I do the show. And I did there on TV, and they said, well, we've all known for years you're a missionary, Tom, but that's a wonderful story. God bless you. That went over nationwide TV all across the Philippines. That's why we ended up doing not one show, but 1,785 and still going. I don't want to tell you that because it makes me feel good. I want to tell you that because that's what God can do when somebody takes one thing and maybe offers it to God that they have. And then when you see him do it, do you think I planned that future? All those basketball games and all those unicycle shows and all the people that we got to share Christ with? Which one? Oh, even these little bitty ones. It doesn't matter your size, your race, your color, what country you come from. It matters if you have Christ inside And you give him what you have. And he will use it. Now, I think I have time so I can tell you another story. Would you like another story? That's good. I like this crowd. Thank you. When Karen and I first went to the Philippines, of course, I was playing basketball. And I thought, that's what I was going to do. And she's a teacher. English as a second language. Something like the folks that were just here that are going to China. And so she would teach full-time. Then I'd travel around the world playing basketball professionally and anywhere they asked me. Well, I went away to Hong Kong one time. And in the Philippines, I'm a godfather. Over 100 plus times I have godchildren because Catholic country, and they sometimes ask you to be the godfather. I always say yes because that means you're going to be the spiritual advisor of that child. And my hope is I could lead them to Christ. So three of my godchildren, while I was in Hong Kong, Nick and his wife Mary had three daughters, uh, 10, 8, 6. Well, the 10-year-old and the 8-year-old died while I was in Hong Kong. So I come back from Hong Kong. I raced down to Nick Clarence. I said, Nick, what happened? He said, oh, Tom, I lost my two girls. I said, why? What happened? They got sick. I said, what do you mean they got sick? Well, they got sick. I said, why didn't you come to the house? He said, well, I know you're out of the country, and everyone always comes to you for help, and so I thought they'd get well. I said, what did they have? He said, well, it started with a sore throat. Then it became, you know, like a bronchitis, and then it became pneumonia, and they died. And the third daughter, the youngest one, had the bronchitis now. She'd been following the other three. So I took her to the doctor immediately. I got a $5 prescription. I gave it to her, and she got well. 
And I thought to myself, a $5 prescription and you could save a life. They just didn't have money. They didn't have access to medicines or medical care. Man, I told Karen, we, we got to do more. And she said, absolutely. Nick Claren today is the pastor of the church that we started in that little community 25 years ago. Because of that incident. You know what we started doing? And this sounds crazy. But I looked at this thing and I read this scripture again and I said, Karen, what do you think if we took the money that we have every month and as long as somebody needed it, we would get them a prescription filled until we ran out of money? You know what she said? I'm in. We had an envelope of money, whatever she made from teaching, I made from basketball, filled the envelope every month. We spent it on ministry. When it ran out, it ran out. And you tried to time it to the end. I'm sure that's how you run your budgets. <laughs> but we started to get prescriptions. Now a doctor in, in town said, listen, Tom, every patient that you bring me, if you're doing this for them for free, every patient you bring me, I'll charge you $1 for. I'll do it for a dollar. I said, you got a deal. So I sent him to Dr. Lee. And she started to do hundreds of physicals for me when I'd send people there if they were sick. She'd give them the prescription. They'd bring me the prescription. I'd go to the pharmacy. I'd buy it. I'd bring it to them. And then I'd share Christ with them. And people were not only getting well. We were saving their lives. We were saving them a second time. They were coming to Christ because you bought them a prescription. One prescription became 10, became 100. So one day, one day, a doctor from... uh, Youth with a mission came over and volunteered his time. And he stayed at our house because he didn't have a place to stay. So we fed him, took care of him. He said, Tom, I heard you have a medical ministry. I said, no, I'm not a medical. I'm a basketball guy. But I heard you take care of people. I said, well, I take them to the doctor and get a prescription. He goes, well, I'm a doctor. I tell you what I do. Since you let me stay at your house, I'll give you two full days, 12-hour days. See as many patients as you want for free. And I'll write prescriptions for anyone that needs them. I said, Fantastic. So we cleaned out the caddy shack at the golf course, invited the local squatter community and the caddies and any of their families, the poor people, and they came, hundreds of them came and lined up. He did nearly 250 people in two days. How do you do that? Now the problem is I had 250 prescriptions. I had a stack of prescriptions on the bed, and it was near the end of the month, and Karen says, we have a problem. I said, what? She said, the stack in the envelope was not going to match the stack on the bed. Now, how do you decide who's going to live and who's going to die? How do you decide who's going to get treated and who's not? If you had four kids, you can only treat two. Which ones would you treat? I know we don't have that in the U.S., but if you did, it'd be a tough question, wouldn't it? And we're praying over which ones do we, which ones do we do? And then we got it in the mail. Now, you got to understand, we told people in the Philippines, don't send us anything in the mail because they have what they call the American tax. Half of it's always gone by the time it gets to your house, if it's goods. And that's just the way it is. But if there's money or checks in it, that doesn't ever make it to the house. So you send the money to an office in the States, but don't send. But not Mr. Thompson, not him. He had to send it to the Philippines in an envelope, dollar check for $1,000. Without knowing what we were doing, it came that day that... The envelope was open, the letter was in it, but the check was still there. They missed the check. How did they do that? How did they miss that check? I know they missed the check. God blinded their eyes as far as I'm concerned, pulled out the check. It's just what we needed. $1,000 became 27,000 pesos. 27 to 1. So now we got all this extra pesos. We not only did all those prescriptions, 
we used the extra to start a fund we called our medical fund to draw from. That was 31 years ago. That medical fund still has money in it. Now, here's the other parts of the story. Mr. Thompson, he calls. He writes in the letter, I'm sorry, in the letter it says, by the way, Tom, I'm sending this check for you to get medicine for people. Because I work at the hospital here in Colorado, and I saw in the special on TV that they have trouble getting medicines in the Philippines. And it broke my heart. So if you could use that for medicines, that'd be my first choice. You'd have to be crazy not to figure out that the Lord's leading you to do this. Right? So I put this together with this together. Karen says, well, if we just keep buying prescriptions. Well, then people started helping us. I went to the Australia play professional, but I'm playing a game in Australia, televised game. I come over and sit down at the end of the game, and this guy comes up in a uniform, a driver's uniform. And he said, sir, um, I'm supposed to take you to doctor's, the doctor's house. He's the head of this orthopedic unit at the hospital. I said, for what? He said, they want to talk to you. Who's they? There's three doctors from each hospital in the area. They head the hospitals. I go, well, take me. I said, I'm not dressed. I only have my tracksuit. I'm sweaty. They don't mind. I went to this beautiful home in West Perth, and I sat in, these three doctors looked at me and said, we heard you have a medical ministry in the Philippines. I go, first of all, how did you even hear about me? Oh, we watch you play basketball on TV, but how about the medical? They said, never mind, long story. We like to serve, we're Christians, and we like to try to get medicines to people who can't get them in other countries. And we'd like to try to get some medicines to you. I said, send them on. They said, not only that, we could send you medical stuff, like for a hospital clinics, blood pressure cuffs, all kinds of things, medical equipment. I said, send it on. They said, well, here's the problem. We've gone to a lot of countries. It never gets to the people we want to send it to. So we stopped sending it. We're only to the countries where they get it to the poor people. I said, I'll get it to the poor people. They said, well, that remains to be seen. I said, well, test me out. So they send me $20,000 worth of Penbritton medicine. It's an antibiotic. And they send it to the Philippines on a big skit. They said, if you can get that out, get to the poor people that deserve it, then we'll send you more. I said, I'll get it there. Now, at the time, we had the volcanic eruption, and we had all these people that were sick and dying of infections in a refugee camp from the, the area of the... So we were going up to treat those people, and we were losing, on average, seven Filipinos a day were dying. So would you mind if I took off my coat? It's really getting warm. Would you mind? Thank you. Ladies, control yourself for a minute, Okay. <laughs> So, so seven people are dying. So if we can get this pen written up there, we can stop the infections. We can save a lot of lives. So the doc, Filipino doctor says, Tom, come on, get it. I said, I'll get it to you. So the pen written arrives at the um, customs, and I go down to get it. And I got all my papers from the health, World Health, and I got it from the Ministry of Health of the Philippines. Everything's okay. No tax. And I take in, and Mrs. Fernandez, I said, ma'am, could I have my pen written? She goes, yes, it'll cost you 100% tax, $20,000. I said, ma'am, no. See, all the papers that it says here, it's free. I'm going to give it to people. She said, you don't understand. I run this place. Unless you give me $20,000, you don't get the pen written. Because what she'll do is she'll take and sell it for fifteen grand to the richer hospitals at a discount. Call it black marketing. Happens all the time all over the world. I said, ma'am, listen to me. I'm an American. You're Filipino. I'm treating your people for free. This is for free. Seven people are dying. She goes, you can stop the sob story. 20 grand. I was so mad. I had to leave before I did something unchristlike, you know. (laughs) 
I went home and I cried, which is not very Christ-like. I just cried. And my wife said, what's wrong? And I told her, and she cried. We were so upset. And then finally she said, well, come on, get going. I said, what do you mean? She said, you're, you're saying what you can't do. What can you do? What can you do? I said, I don't know. I got to get somebody more powerful her than her. He, she says, you play professional basketball. You've got to know some people. So I went to Louis Gonzalez, a friend of mine, from the golf course. I said, Louis, I got this problem. In the Philippines, we have what's called utang na laub. It means you're indebted to somebody if they do your favor. And you never forget to. You can pay them back that favor. And friendships are bonded on utang na laub. So uh, he had an utang to me for five years that I did for him. I can't tell you what it was, but it was nice. <laughs> and I said, Louis, I got the utang for you. He said, really, what? I said, I got this problem down at immigration, uh, down at customs. I can't get the stuff out. I know you have a few contacts. He's put on his glasses, told the guys, go play golf, sat down, show me all the papers. I gave him all the papers. He said, so this Mrs. Fernandez is our problem. I said, yes, sir. I don't know what to do. He said, where are you going next? I said, I leave for Australia in the morning. I got to play basketball over there, and I'm going to meet these three doctors. And if I don't have that stuff out, they're not going to send. And you know the story. I'm not going to send any more. They're not going to send any more. He says, you go to Australia. I'll call you. I'll take care of this. Don't you worry about it. So I went to Australia. First night, no, no word. So when the guy driver came to get me, I snuck out the back, went to my hotel. <laughs> the next night before the game, I get a phone call from Karen. Tom, guess what? I said, what? She said, seven people aren't dying today in northern Luzon and Tamau. And the next, I said, we got the medicine. Tom, it's a great story. Now, this is my Baptist wife. I, she said, I'm going to tell you the story. I said, do you approve of it? She said, yes. What? Listen. She said, I sent two of you guys down, two of our Filipino associates that work with me in the mission ministry. They go down and sit in front of customs and wait for somebody, like Louis said. This guy drives up in this beautiful Mercedes. He's got a driver. He gets out. He's dressed to the tens. Long, slick, bony, ponytail in the back, fluffy shirt, briefcase. He walks up, and they're going, man, who's this guy? And they're watching him. And suddenly, everybody's moving at customs. The door opens. The guard says, his name's Chicky. Chicky, what can we do for you? Why are you? Do you need something? He says, yes, I need Mrs. Fernandez. And they all went. And my guys are going, I wonder who this guy is. And he looks at him and says, are you with Tom Randall? Yes, sir, we're his friends. Well, come on. So they got up and they went in with him. And he went to Mrs. Fernandez and she melted in a minute. She said, Chicky, what do you need? Why are you here? I think we have a problem with this medicine of Tom Randall. We need it out right away. She said, of course, let me sign that. <laughs> and the pen Britain's coming out, but it stops at the gate. Because it's a secured gate and it's a, it's a warehouse. And the guard who's guarding the gate says, excuse me, Chicky, I don't mean to be a problem, but... I don't want to lose my job. I do have to charge, and there's a receipt for the storage since it's been here. Chicky goes, how much is it? He tells him, my guy said he opens the briefcase, and the only thing in it was money, pesos and dollars. So he took pesos out, gave it to the guy, closed it up, said, you guys keep the change. I got to get going. You tell Tom he has a problem to call Louis. I'll take care of it. There'll be no more problems with anything he brings into this country from this place. And he left, and I've never met him. I've never seen him. And I asked my wife, are you okay with that? And she says, God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> so, now, <laughs> still going. Just wanted you to know, still going, can go, can keep going. We could be here all night, all afternoon, but we're not. I only have a few more minutes to finish the story. Because it goes on. I get equipment from 
Australia to fill a hospital. Blood pressure cuffs, blood mixing machines, scalpels, lights. I, and I can make an operating room because I don't know what to do, but I can make an operating Then the doctors gave me a plastic sheet. On it, it said, Tom, here's the plastic sheet, laminated. If they have this symptom, you give them this medicine this many times a day at this dosage. You got it? And it's a long list. I said, yeah. And they filled my house with medicines. Karen and I had this big extra bedroom. It was just filled wall to wall with medicines, all organized. So people come to the door. With the, I get the prescription. I bring them to the house. And I go, okay, here's your prescription. Or they come to the house and they say, Tom, I have this symptom. I go, okay, try this. Take it this many times a day. Can you imagine me in America doing that? <laughs> yeah. The Obamacare wouldn't work like that, I'll tell you that. So we did this and people were coming to Christ. And I prayed and prayed. Karen says, you can't keep doing this. You're not a doctor. I actually do have doctor before my name, but it's for humanities. It's, it's not for doctoring. And so we prayed and we prayed for a doctor. Now we have all this stuff. We have a place set up. We can make, have a clinic. We just need a real doctor. Now here's where God comes in. Well, he's come in obviously the whole way, but I get a phone call from the United States. Scott Nelson. When he was a little boy, there were three of my babysit for him when I was in college. Their father is a pastor and my first pastor after I came to Christ. So I would come to the house and I would share stories with him about going overseas and playing basketball and share Christ with him. And this little guy, Scott, said, someday I'm going to be a missionary, Uncle Tom. I said, good for you. This is 15 years later. He's actually followed up on it or 20 years later. And I go, he calls me on the phone. He says, Uncle Tom, I'm still going to be a missionary. I said, good for you. What kind of missionary are you? He said, well, I want to be a medical missionary. I go, what? He goes, I'm a doctor. I said, you're a real doctor? He said, yeah. I said, put your wife on the phone. So she got on the phone. I said, is he really a real good doctor? I mean, like licensed and everything, not like me. She goes, Tom, he finished first in his class. I go, how about that? No debt. He did it so that he could go to the mission field. I said, then what's the problem? There aren't too many missions that would accept him because they, she had come from a divorce and they'd married, he'd married her. And so there was a problem with that. And I said, I don't have a problem with that. Get on the plane and come here and just look over the Philippines, see what you think about this. They didn't know what I was doing. They come to the Philippines. I put them on a motorcycle. I take them down to my clinic. And I go, operating room is there. Medicines are here. The people are waiting outside. Always share Christ before they go in to do the work on them, okay? <laughs> Isn't it a great story? So doc, Dr. Scott saves the first life, a lady with a, a breast that needed to be removed. It was a cancerous breast. He, he won her to Christ. He removed the breast, saved her life. And for 15, 18, 20 years, they've been in the Philippines. We built a hospital. We filled it with stuff. He trains other Filipinos to become nurses so they can go to the province, Christians, share Christ and treat people in the province where they can't get care. And what did it start with, everybody? Do you remember what it started with? $5 prescription. So don't tell me that I could do any of that or that you could do any of that. It's only a cheap trick. But God does it for real. Only God can do that with lives. And I've seen it for 37 years, and that's why I want to encourage you. I don't care what you don't have. I want you to think about what do you have that you could still let God use in your life. What ability, what encouraging word, what bit of money, what talent, what time you might have to serve. 
we can still, America is still our country as Christians, I think. We can still win people to Christ in America, even though we're getting pushed out of the public square every day. I don't care. The truth of God can pursue anybody in this country still at any time if we're willing not be ashamed, give what we have, and still reach people for Christ. We can still do it. God will be honored in this country. Even people who don't, that's okay with them, but we will. Don't be silenced just because society tells you to. What do you have to serve to use this lovely couple going to China? I'm not asking to become a missionary, to ride a unicycle, to play basketball. But you got things that I don't have and gifts that I don't have. Use them. You know that fund that I told you about? It's still growing, that medical fund. We get medical teams three or four a year. We get over $100,000 worth of free medicines every year in the Philippines. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't laugh at that. That's the loaves and the fish growing. I don't want you to look at me and say, wow, Tom, that's great. I want you to look at God and say, God, that is great what you're doing. May God be given the glory for the things he's doing in all these lives and all these countries and in your life as well. He saved you. Please don't forget it. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you for my brother Jay who shared Christ with me many, many years ago that he still loves you and serves you with such a great heart. Him and Carol, bless their lives. This couple going to China, thank you for this church and sending them. The people in these pews, bless each one of them. They come out today on a hot day to worship you and bless them this week as they go out and find a way to serve you in the smallest way in whatever way they can. Give them a wonderful blessing from it. Thank you for this lady with the oil in 2 Kings that gives us an example of what you can do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you.